0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Hey, welcome back. We are uh, coming to you live from New York City in the 33rd floor of the the Hotel New Yorker at 8th Ave and 34th Street, which is in uh, Chelsea, that uh, area of Manhattan. And uh, the significance, uh, the 33rd floor was home uh, for the last 12 years of his life to the great inventor nikola tesla uh who died in that hotel in 1943 and uh, i'm staying in a suite just around the corner uh from rooms 3 uh, 3327 and 3328 and uh, there's a there's an actual plaque on the door uh commemorating uh tesla and uh for many of you who are familiar with tesla of course uh was really the father of alternating current Got into a, a big battle with uh, Edison, who was promoting his um, his direct current technology. Of course, we now have alternating current in our homes. So, uh, however, despite that fact, Tesla died penniless and uh, lived out his final days at the New Yorker. When uh, when his uh, his nephew arrived on the scene in the uh, hotel uh, hotel room after his uncle had died, his safe had been opened and reportedly papers scientific papers he'd been working on uh, in terms of the development that had to do with the development of his death ray. What was the death ray? Was it a laser beam? Was it some sort of a particle accelerator? We're not really sure, uh, but those papers were gone and uh, we don't know what happened to them. Were they uh, spirited away perhaps for further development in places like Area 51 in Nevada? Well, that's a mystery. We really don't know what goes on at Area 51 in Nevada. Apparently, neither do many of the presidents of the United States, and we're going to get into that discussion uh, right now. Uh, first, however, let me welcome uh, from Zeland News Network, our good friend, Victor Vigiani. Hey, Victor, how are you?
1: Just fine, Richard. How are you doing there?
0: I'm um, well, thank you. Uh, someone recently sent me a uh, an email. I didn't know about this, mm-hmm. but back in 2005, uh, President Clinton, uh, former President Clinton, was in Hong Kong at some sort of a business meeting. And uh, after the meeting, he sort of opened up the floor to, to questions on just about anything. And he actually fielded a question from somebody. Uh, and this is available on YouTube, which it was uncovered largely thanks to our, our guest uh, who's coming up here in a moment. Uh, but he was asked about Area 51 and, and, he admitted that he actually investigated trying to find out what was going on there. Did you know about this?
1: Yeah, that was one of the uh, the stories about the Clinton administration, that there was some sort of investigation about what Area 51 was beneath the surface. And I mean that in a, a double metaphorical way, uh, which really behind... Uh, area 51 in terms of it being or not being a recognized area. Before, I believe, Clinton uh, got into it, uh, it was something that the United States government would not even recognize exist And then sometime after, I think it was the Clinton administration, I could be wrong there, but they did make some sort of a assertion that, in fact, this place did exist, and that's as far as they went on the issue. Now, as far as what's below the ground, that's another story that maybe we can get into later on tonight
0: well let's uh, let 's do that let 's talk about area fifty one and what the various presidents of the United States have known or do know about area fifty one and uh, the possibility that uh, that facility may be uh, used to uh, to house uh, advanced propulsion systems from from UFOs have some have theorized perhaps uh, housed uh, alien bodies retrieved from UFO crash sites, as some have theorized. And uh, we're going to uh, get into that conversation right now. Grant Cameron has uh, lectured widely in Canada, Europe, the United States, on the Canadian government's early investigations into flying saucers, UFO disclosure politics, and the Rockefeller UFO Initiative, and the presidential UFO connection in September 2005, He was actually denied access to the United States to lecture on UFOs and why the government has chosen to withhold the truth. At present, Grant is sorting through almost 100 FOIA requests from the Clinton Presidential Library in Little Rock, Rock, Arkansas, related to the UFO-related actions and policies inside the two presidential terms of Bill Clinton. They show that the Clinton administration was very interested in the phenomena, and actually tried to force out some of the hidden information to the public. Grant Cameron, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Yeah, good, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. As I mentioned, that uh, YouTube clip of Clinton, that surfaced largely due to your efforts. How did that come about?
2: I had heard stories that this had taken place, that he had made a comment during the question-answer and period, and uh, I worked on it for a couple of years, was not able to get anything. And then I contacted Neil Gould, who sort of runs extra politics in Hong Kong, asked him, do you think you can help me out with this? And he said, well, hang on. He said, yeah, I got given him the details. It was a, a banking uh, investment place that he was lecturing. He'd actually lectured there three times. Neil came back to me a couple of days later and he said, I got the video. I'm just going to edit out the UFO part and I can't tell you how I got it. So that's where it ended. We put it on the Internet, and that video is not public. It has never been released by the... I tried to get it from the Clinton Library. I tried to get it from the Clinton Foundation, and uh, that's the only place you'll see that particular session that he had there, and all you have is the question-and-answer period. The rest of it is still... Neil has it, but it's never been officially released by the Clintons.
0: We thought about playing the clip on the air, but it's, it's, it's kind of long and rambling. It's up like six minutes. And so I, I thought yep. it would be just best to get you to summarize what the question was and how he responded.
2: Well, basically, the guy that asked the question, I think he must have been the guy who was running it. Or because or, he said, I'll use my position to ask this question. Is there secrets that are passed from one president to another? Like, where is Hoffa's body buried or what happened at Roswell? And uh, Clinton started to laugh, and he started to talk about the fact that during the 50th anniversary of Roswell, uh, there was all these people that were interested in Roswell, and he actually tried to get the information, and he wasn't able to uh, get the answer. And he made this one cryptic remark. He said, I'm probably not the first president that they've kept in the dark or that bureaucrats have tried to wait out. So basically stated that he tried to get the material, he wasn't able to get anything, and then he made this sort of a bizarre reference to the fact that a lot of his people, a lot of the people in his administration really didn't believe Roswell. They thought it was nothing of significance, but a vast majority of them actually believed that there was something going on at a base in Nevada, and that they had a UFO or an alien buried in Nevada. So he's talking about Area 51. So he stated that he sent someone to Area 51 to uh, get the, uh, the answer there, and that they found out all they were, do- all they were doing was advanced uh, testing. Now, I've done a, a bunch of work trying to figure out who it was. John Podesta, who was Chief of Staff, uh, actually did make a comment that he knew for a fact that nothing was going on in Area 51. Uh, we know that James uh, Bilbray, who was a, uh, rep- uh, a Democratic congressman, in the area actually was taken on the base and he claimed that he had been in every building on the, on the base and that, uh, he didn't believe there was any UFOs or, uh, extraterrestrials there, but there was a congressional investigator for, um, uh, Senator Byrd, uh, his name was Dick De- DeMato. He also, um, had, um, he had top secret clearance and he had subpoena power and he went on the base and his, his version of the story was different, that um, he basically told, for example, he told, told Stephen Greer, he said, uh, he, with my top-secret clearance and with my um, ability to subpoena, I can't get anywhere on this thing. This is uh, the, the, uh, the varsity team of black programs. I can't help you. Good luck. And so you, you get these varying um, sort of on people that went in there to investigate. For example, uh, Bill Bray, who was the, the congressman, actually didn't go in there till 1991, and the, the whole thing broke in... Uh, uh, actually broke before Lazar. Lazar went in, his story broke in spring of 1989. But if you go back, and this is something I don't think anybody knows, but if you go back, there was a, a documentary that back in those days we thought was sort of like the big documentary that was being put on by the government. It was called uh, uh, UFO Cover-Up Live, and it was in October of 1988. This is long before Lazar even went on to Area 51 and then came out to tell the story about the, the flying saucers and the, uh, the live alien and all this sort of stuff. And in this documentary, which is about six months before that, they show a flowchart of how the cover-up works and we believe that a lot of this was put in by the government, and Area 51 is on that flowchart. And then in 89, of course, uh, Lazar uh, goes, uh, or uh, late 88, he goes on the base. He comes out. He has the interview with uh, George Knapp, who um, probably is the guy who knows most about Area 51. The story breaks in spring of 1989, and Bill Bray and uh, D'Amato and these people, don't get to go on the base until about 1991, 92, 93. So it's three years after, and anybody with any sense whatsoever, it was like people up in the hills looking down at the base. It just went viral, the story. So there's no doubt that whatever was there, they quickly moved that material out of there if if they did have the the crafts and the bodies. And I think if you take a look at the material that uh, George Knapp has, and particularly one key witness that he has, that he actually tracked the guy down. This guy didn't come forward. Now, figured if anybody knew what was going on at Area 51, this guy would know. And he tracked this guy down and spent months and months and months trying to get the story out of this guy. And eventually, the guy confirmed, yes, it's all for real. It's uh, they have the we were back engineering the crafts, and they had an alien, that they, a live alien at the at the base that they were afraid was going to escape. So. George Knapp had, I believe, over over two dozen witnesses that basically confirmed the story, uh, uh, bits and pieces of Bob Lazar's story, that, yes, they do have the crafts there, and they do have the, um, they did have a live alien there. And then if you take a look now, uh, a lot of people, well, most people assume that it's been moved. For example, Stephen Greer claims that they moved the material to Utah, to a base in Utah, and that the Mormons are actually... Uh, running the operation there because they are, are, are able to uh, keep secrets better or something. I don't know, I'm not sure what the catch is. But I think most people think that it does make sense. If, if the security is compromised, you're immediately going to move that material. And uh, there's no doubt that when the Czar story broke, everything was compromised. I mean, it was just... Uh, grand central station of people up in the hills trying to see what was going on. And uh, they actually had to take more land away to stop people from getting close to the base. And uh, so that, that's basically the Area 51 story and a, and a wrap-up. But Clinton did, uh, and he admits this on this video, he, he admits that he did send someone to the base that, the, that a lot of people in his administration believed that there was a craft or a, an alien there.
0: Uh, it's interesting, though, uh, Grant, in the the um, in the, uh, the clip, uh, that the Clinton kind of laughs it off and seems almost embarrassed. Uh, he says, you know, I, I, um, I, I think he says I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by it now, but it's public, so I have to, I, you know, I, I have to admit to it. I sent somebody there, ha ha ha, and uh, uh, they didn't find anything. But he doesn't actually name Area 51. It's like he's not, he wasn't even aware that it existed, which is kind of hard to believe.
2: Yeah, well, he I think he just sort of gets confused as to the, the name of the base, because, I mean, he, he would definitely have known uh, Area 51 was going on because there was a major lawsuit going on. There was a bunch of workers there uh, that actually sued the government. And uh, if you go to my website, on my website I have a document section there. I actually have 360 pages of documents that I got from the Clinton administration on Area 51. I think there was about the same number that was, were withheld. Okay, we'll talk about those when we come back. We'll take a quick timeout. Grant Cameron, PresidentialUFO.com,
0: Victor Vigiani from Zeland News Network and Studio, live from New York, The Conspiracy Show.
1: The truth is not out there.
0: It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. If the United States Air Force did recover alien bodies, they didn't tell me about it either. And I want to know. I want to know. I want to know. Welcome back. Now that's a clip I had not heard. Of. Victor Viciani, what's the origin of that clip? When, when did President Clinton say that? I'd like to know.
1: 1995, I believe it was in Ireland. He was responding uh, to a, I guess, a group of letters that uh, were written by some young people, and one of them, I forget the young boy's name, an Irish, uh, an Irish lad, wrote. Um, a question to Clinton, and Clinton, at the speech, speaking to literally hundreds of people, came out and said just exactly that, that uh, if, in fact, uh, something did crash in Roswell in 1947, he didn't know about it, but he wanted to know. And it was in response to a question from a young from a young fellow. So that's that has become part of history. And it, it really kind of points to exactly where this man's head was in terms of uh, how he felt about UFOs and, and and what the kinds of things he was willing to do to actually get at uh, whether or not this in fact was true. And one of the things that I'd like Grant to expand upon is I've got an article um, in my memory banks. I think it's 1997 by uh, I believe in the New York Post by Deborah Orin indicating that. Uh, Bill Clinton was just intrigued by UFOs, and and he wanted someone to go to the Justice Department to to try to find out. So he appointed uh, Webster Hubble. Um, do you want to take over that story, Grant, and lead us through uh, how hard Clinton tried to get at the fact that uh, uh, UFOs were part of history?
2: Okay. Well, it's it's sort of now well-known fact that Clinton was fascinated with UFOs. He, in fact, uh, Paul David's, who's a producer, writer, and Hollywood actually met with him. Just be going back a couple of years for about five or ten minutes and presented him a bunch of Roswell books. And at that point, Clinton said to him, "You know, I'm fascinated with this kind of stuff, and I'm going to read this." The '97 uh, incident uh, from Deborah Orange is an interesting story, and, w- and what it relates to is in 1997, uh, Webster Hubble, who was Good friends with Bill Clinton and mostly Hillary Clinton. He'd worked at the Rose Law Firm in Little Rock with uh, Hillary and had come up. He was Assistant Attorney General. And when he came there, this is the beginning of the administration in 93, Clinton said to him, If I put you over there in justice, I want you to get the answer to two questions for me. Number one, are there UFOs? And number two, who killed JFK? And Hubble goes out, and he, he goes to NORAD, he, he goes to different places, and he says the answers he was getting uh, weren't very good. So in his book in 1997, he puts this in his book. It was, his book was called Friends Friends in High Places, and he relates the fact that, that Clinton uh, gave him this, this instruction uh, of going out and answering these two questions. So you get Clinton trying to get the answer to UFOs, for example, this clip from... That you were just talking about in 1995, uh, in Belfast, Northern Ireland. This is actually in front of 80,000 people where he made this speech. And what had happened was, uh, Lawrence Rockefeller had come to the White House and Clinton allowed him to be dealing with, uh, Hillary Clinton and with his science advisor. And this negotiation was going back and forth. Rockefeller wanted all the UFO documents disclosed. And, uh, so Clinton allowed that to go on. And what came out of that was Rockefeller wanted the Roswell re-investigated, and uh, they had decided, well, you know, maybe we can't do this. And then he said, okay, if if you don't want to do this, I can. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a major full-page ad in every major newspaper in the United States asking for disclosure. And they said, well, oh, hang on, hang on. So what happened was the the Clinton administration was forced to initiate this Roswell study. What happened was the Roswell study came back in in late 1995, and it basically said, no, it's a mogul balloon, there's nothing to this. So Clinton reads the report. This is what I believe happened. Clinton reads the report. He's furious, and because uh, they basically just walked around him. He tried to get this out. And so he goes to Belfast, Northern Ireland, that's where he says, uh, I got a letter from Ryan, and I tried from the Clinton administration to get that letter from Ryan. They don't know where it is. It's nowhere to be seen. And he said, if you're out there in the audience, here's the answer to your question. As far as I know, a crash UFO did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico, but if they did recover alien bodies, they didn't tell me about it, and I want to know. And what that was, the first Roswell report that came out in '95 only mentioned the Mogul balloon. It didn't mention all the eyewitnesses who were talking about alien bodies. So basically he's saying, you didn't talk about the alien bodies, I want to know about the alien bodies. Explain to me what what these people are describing. So in 1997, they do a second Roswell report called Roswell Case Closed. They spend $20 million, whatever they spend on the second study. And then the second one, that's where they come up with this cra- crazy theory about dropping dummies out of planes in 19, 1953, five years after the crash. And that's basically the Air Force coming back to Clinton and saying, You want the answer to the bodies? Here's the answer to the bodies, and he gets, they walk around him a second time. The other thing that he did that, that John Podesta talks about is they put out an executive order in 1995 that basically said after 10 years you gotta start declassifying documents, you can't withhold documents, and after 25 years, unless you get a very good reason, every single document has to come out. And what they figured by doing that is that all the ufo documents would come out with all the declassified documents there was eight hundred million pages of documents declassified under bill clinton and the, the ufo documents didn't come out so he failed in that attempt but clinton was doing a lot of stuff trying to shake stuff loose and trying to get to the bottom of it and he even when i put out this latest article because what has happened now is he, he was a conspiratorial guy. He didn't believe the, the UFO answer. That's why he said, Double, I want you to go and get the answer to UFOs. And he also, he was a very big fan of, of uh, President Kennedy. He was he had this famous photograph at 16 years old. He promised his mother. He was going to Washington. He'd get a, pr- a picture with the president. He gets this picture of him shaking Kennedy's hand shortly before Kennedy was assassinated. Takes the picture back. He becomes sort of famous for this. And so he sees himself as a second Kennedy. So when he says to Hubble, I want you to find out about UFOs, he also says, I want you to find out about the JFK assassination, who killed JFK. And the latest uh, FOIA that I just got released from the Clinton uh, Library is uh, the FOIA on files on the JFK assassination. And they have made uh, uh, public 7,663 pages of documents on the Kennedy assassination. So uh... I haven't seen them. I don't know if anybody's looked at them yet, but they are now available at the Clinton Library. So that was the two things that Clinton wanted: these two conspiracy theories that that he believed the that there was there was an answer to it, and we weren't getting the right answer. And he sent Hubble out to do it, and Hubble puts it out. And when I put this article out last week, I actually got um, there was a bunch of people on Larry King. I can't really say because I don't know if he wants the story public, but. They were in a, uh, at, in a interview with, um, uh, Larry King, four people. And, and Symington, who was a friend of, uh, uh, Clinton, was one of the people who was on Larry King. So they're leaving the studio and they're driving back in the limousine to the hotel. And, uh, what I was told this week was that the phone rings and, uh, Fife Symington, who was, uh, uh, a good friend of Bill Clinton was in the car, and he takes the phone call, and it's Clinton, and he's in uh, Europe, and he's phoning from some company country in Europe, and I guess he'd been watching the Larry King show, and so he they put him on speakerphone, and Clinton is telling the same story about the fact that he sent Hubble out to get the answer to this kind of stuff, and uh, basically sort of reinforces the, the story that Clinton tried to get to the bottom of it and couldn't get to the couldn't get any answers, and and was absolutely furious and had been asked by, for example, the White House reporter, um, uh, Sarah McClendon. She said, Mr. Clinton, why don't you do something about this UFO stuff? These people are making demands. Why don't you do something about it? And according to Sarah McClendon, Clinton leaned over and he said, Sarah, there's a government inside the government, and I don't control it, which is basically similar to what Jimmy Carter had told a number of people was that when he got there and he asked for the UFO files, they said, You're only here part-time, four years, eight years. There's a lot of people around here that are here for a long time, and you don't have a need to know. Curiosity on the part of the president is not sufficient need to know. So there's these indications that at least these two presidents were told, you're not getting the answer, which is kind of you know bad news if you go through this election that they're going to go through and spend billions of dollars next month, and uh, the, the people running the country aren't even the people you're going to be electing.
0: Grant Cameron is with us, uh, the website, presidentialufo.com. Well, Grant and, and Victor, for all those people who had such high hopes for um, uh, President Obama being the disclosure president, I think, I think we had our disclosure president. It was Bill Clinton. He did what he could do. He failed. And I don't know what more a president could do.
1: Well, yeah, I guess that's part of it, too, because one of the things that I think Grant mentioned earlier was uh, the involvement of John Podesta. And at the time, uh, during the administration of Clinton, he was the chief of staff. And after that, he came forward uh, a lot later. I think it was in 2002, I believe, first at the National Press Club and talked about the need to have the government come forward about what they know about UFOs. Um, I, and then again, when uh, during the campaign, uh, or I guess just after the election, uh, that uh, Obama Appointed Podesta as his co-chair of the transition team into the White House, and that was interpreted as a move to say, "My goodness, uh, Podesta came out and said all this stuff about the government coming forward about UFOs." And, you know, inadvertently enough, this man has been appointed the co-chair of the transition team, and that sort of made sense at the time that it might have been a signal that uh, that Obama was ready to come out. But unfortunately, it didn't turn out that way, right, Grant?
2: Yeah, the, the problem with it is, uh, like Podesta, when he made his statement, uh, pro-UFO statement, Bush was in, in, in the government. And it works the same in Canada. I remember James Richardson, who was a member of parliament, I, I tried to get him to do some ministerial inquiries here. It was the same thing. When his party was in, he wouldn't do anything. When the other party was in, he was in opposition, then he was quite willing to put in ministerial inquiries. And the same with Podesta. When, when Bush is in, he can make these pro-UFO statements, but, when when Obama's in, if he makes a pro-UFO statement, he puts Obama on the spot, the same as uh, uh, Biden did when he talked about gay marriage. You, you put the president on the spot, and the president has to answer for you. He has to answer for everybody. So he's been very quiet. But uh, Obama has made some moves that, that I think people really don't see. I, I watch it all the time, so I think they're kind of significant. The one was Will Smith when uh, Men in Black was coming out. He goes to the White House with his son. Uh, Jaden Smith, and Jaden wants to ask the president about the UFOs, and they're in the situation room, and in the middle of the situation room, he's about to ask the question, and Obama cuts him off, he said, I know what you want to know. You want to know about the aliens, and he said, I can neither confirm nor deny that ETs exist, but if there, if, if there was a meeting, a top-secret meeting, it would have taken place in this very room, and... That was something that I'm sure Obama knew it was going to get out, that people would hear about this and that it would sort of circulate around. The other thing that he did, he went to Roswell, New Mexico, because in a campaign year, Roswell is always a swing state. It isn't this year, but usually it's a swing state, and everybody goes to Roswell or to New Mexico to try to get that state. So he's in, in New Mexico uh, campaigning uh, a few months ago, and he makes this joke about little nine and ten year old kids coming to him and asking him about Roswell. It's the most, most asked question by kids at that age. And he tells them, you know, if I told you this, what, what actually happened, I, then I'd have to kill you. And everybody laughs and make, you know, every, the crowd all laughs. And there's a pause. You can tell it's a pause. It's no longer in the speech and he ad lids. And that's when he says, we'll keep our secrets on, on Roswell. And the third thing he does, which I maintain is a disclosure event, is Chase Brandon comes out, and Chase Brandon comes out and says, I found this box at Langley headquarters. He's a 40-year CIA guy, 35 years, and he's still under contract with the CIA. And uh, here's this guy comes out, and I say there's no way that Chase Brandon would walk out and throw the CIA under the, under the UFO bus unless he had the authorization to do it. And he comes out and he says, I saw a box at Langley. It had material that confirms that Roswell was for real. He does it on the 65th anniversary of Roswell. He's promoting supposedly promoting this book. But there's no way I'm saying that he would have come out because he was the second top public affairs person in the CIA to talk on behalf of the CIA outside the director of the CIA. He knows the rules. He knows how it works. He knows what classification is. And he, he knows the position he's putting the CIA in. So when he comes out and says, Roswell was real, there was extraterrestrials, there was bodies, and I can't talk about the, the facts of, of what I saw, this is a disclosure event. This is him coming out. And the reason Obama is connected is because the CIA, you, if you listen to Chase Brandon, he always talks about the fact that the CIA, the only thing they do, they're, they're, their client is the people at 60,000 feet. That's the president, that's the executive, that's the intelligence people for the House and the Senate. Those are the people they're working for. They do not work for themselves. Therefore, if he comes out and makes a disclosure thing, it's green-lighted by the White House because the same as Podesta talking on behalf of the president, the CIA can't go and say something stupid because the president is going to have to answer for it. Therefore, I would say that the event with Chase Brandon coming out and talking about this is an event that was set up by the White House. That's my opinion. all right.
0: Grant we will uh, come back and we'll dial it back, maybe forty years, and we'll talk about the Nixon administration and the alien bodies, along with Jackie Gleason and how he enters into this picture. Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network, back in our Toronto uh, studio. I'm coming to you live from New York. Back with more of the conspiracy show. Stay with us.
1: Want the truth? You
0: can handle the truth. The conspiracy show with Richard Z. Right now we're discussing uh, aliens and the presidents of the United States with uh, UFO researcher Grant Cameron and uh, Victor Vigiani from Zealand News Network. Now we've been talking about uh, Clinton and, uh, and uh, Obama. Let's dial it back 40 years. There is this story. It's a legend, or is it? It may be based in some fact. Jackie Gleason, of course, the great comedic actor, the star of The Honeymooners, The Jackie Gleason Show, was a UFO nut. The story goes that he asked Richard Nixon about this question. One day Nixon, I guess, drops by his place in Florida, invites him to accompany him to the Homestead Air Force Base. And, uh, Grant Cameron, let me throw it over to you. Fill in the blanks. What happened?
2: Um, well, we should give you a little background. Uh, the story first broke in, I think it was 1983, in the National Enquirer. His second wife, uh, Beverly Gleason, had put out a story that Jackie had come home late at night and that he was uh, very shaken up, that he had just seen extraterrestrial bodies. And uh, she puts this story out, and she's trying to promote a book that she's trying to get out. That's why she put the story out. And uh, so we interviewed her later, and uh, we, there was two interviews done by Kenny Young, who's unfortunately since passed away. But he asked her, and he said, you know, it, it, it is this true? And she said, yes, it's true. Either he was out with another woman or he, was, he saw extraterrestrial bodies, but he was greatly shaken by, by what had happened that night. And the story is that um, he had been taken to Homestead Air Force Base, that um, Nixon had appeared in a car by himself, Late at night, and that he had uh, taken Gleason because they used to golf. Gleason lived just south of Miami in Florida, and he uh, off a golf course there. And Nixon's home, his uh, southern White House, was in uh, in Florida, and so they were very close, about 20 miles from each other. And so he they go in the car and they go to Homestead, and uh, they're shocked to see Nixon driving. He, the, he just waves at the guard. He goes through. And uh, according to Gleason, they go into the, into a building, and he shows them these uh, dead extraterrestrial bodies. And, of course, when I first put the story out, I was sort of attacked by a bunch of people saying, well, you know, this is not possible. So what I was able to confirm was, number one, that um, every time that Nixon went south to Florida, uh, he would land at Homestead Air Force Base, and they would take Army 1 or Army 2, the helicopter, to his home. It would go by helicopter from there. So he he had been at Homestead, I don't know how many times, 50, 60 times. He knew Homestead like the back of the town because he landed there every time. The other thing people said was, the President can't escape his Secret Service. And so I was able to recover a story where it showed that Nixon didn't like his Secret Service and that he'd actually gotten out in Washington. He had used one of the cooks from the kitchen. Nixon had gotten in the back seat under a blanket, and the, the cook had driven out and taken Nixon out, and he suddenly disappeared and they got him in some bar in Washington, and the Secret Service had to, had to recover him. So it sort of proved the fact that this story could happen, that the president actually could sort of escape his Secret Service, pick up Gleason. And there was a number of people after that um, sort of have confirmed the story, have, have said that they either talked to Gleason uh, or have uh, talked to somebody who talked to Gleason. So there are a number of people who seem to back up the story that this actually did take place, that Gleason did. Uh, at least tell the story that, that, that this had happened. What do you make of that, Victor?
1: Well, yeah, it's, there's just so much uh, apparent mythology attached to this, and it's any wonder why Grant was, uh, you know, criticized for it initially. But if you take a look at all the evidence and the way uh, Nixon operated, um, and also too the the fact of the matter that uh, Jackie Gleason did have one of the largest UFO libraries. Um, I guess uh, uh, for any entertainer to have, and he bequeathed it, I believe, to one of the universities uh, in, in the United States. Um, so he was very, very interested in this. Now, the thing that really surprises me is, is I guess trying to match this up with the, the president's right to know or, the, or curiosity on the part of the president really wasn't sufficient evidence uh, or at least sufficient reason for the president to know about the UFO issue. How, Grant, how do you think uh, Nixon got a hold of this stuff uh, through that kind of veil of protection that this issue had well, at the time? Well, it comes
2: down to the old story that um, the, the Republicans seem to know and the Democrats don't. Um, I put out the other story this week about, uh, about uh, Ronald Reagan, the story that Ronald Reagan told. I mean, he was another Republican. And uh, there, there's other stories that showed that Nixon knew. There's the, the story of the ufo's past present and future documentary was done in 1975 where two guys were given complete access to everybody just were allowed to go on a basis go into the pentagon with without signing in and uh the guy that was one of the guys that was the producer who was working for for nixon knew Haldeman, knew uh his communications guy uh had a cia guy in the, on the, the the studio when they were doing this whole thing and so it, gave indication that nixon knew what was going on that he had the inside track and the story okay,
0: let's was, uh, let's uh, take a time out uh, uh, grant when okay. we come back uh, i'd like to hear some of those uh, stories uh, about uh, reagan and yeah. uh, the ufo issue the conspiracy show live from new york and toronto grant cameron presidential and victor vigiani executive director of Zealand news network stay with us When in doubt, blame the government. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren. Hey, welcome back. We are uh, discussing uh, aliens and the Presidents of the United States with uh, UFO researcher Grant Cameron. Grant, Ronald Reagan, I believe at least on two occasions, maybe three, he talked about the possibility of an alien invasion. What can you tell He's us about uh, about Reagan's fascination the with States, UFOs? With uh, well, this UFO is a story researcher I put on Grant my Cameron. website
2: this week, um, he had, he had the alien invasion remark was five or six times and uh, he was fascinated five or six. with five or six times, yeah. And those are recorded. But anyway, the reason that he was so fascinated with this was he was fascinated with nuclear weapons and UFOs and it uh, ties into the 1951 movie the day the earth stood still which was apparently one of his favorite movies about the threat of nuclear weapons and the fact that the aliens could wipe us out if we didn't uh, smarten up but the significant part is the his his sightings i always thought there were two sightings one in an airplane which he talked about with the wall street journal and then when somebody realized he was talking to a reporter backed off the story the other one was a story that he told to uh, a group of people he was coming to a party in Los Angeles, and this story's on my website right now. And when he gets there, uh, Steve Allen, who's a comedian, told the story that he remembers Reagan talking about this when he got there, and the other one uh, is Lucille Ball, who stated that she had um, heard the story. Now, the, the addition to the story is now Shirley MacLaine has gotten involved, and this is in her book, uh, Saging While Aging, which was put out in 2007 which became famous for outing uh, Dennis Kucinich and his close encounter with a UFO. Uh, but in this one, she states that Reagan actually uh, had had an encounter with an alien, that there was, it was actual contact. It wasn't just a sighting. And so she just did an interview in uh, the U.K. in the last month, and I checked uh, with uh, people that know her, and uh, they re- referred me to the book and said, It's in the book. And basically, in, according to the, what she told a newspaper in England, uh, the alien came out of the ship, and there was a, a tele- telepathic interaction between Reagan and the alien, and the alien told him to get out of, out of movies and get into politics. And uh, so he gets into politics, and he's absolutely fascinated with the, the UFO subject. And there's the famous story about uh, closing uh, E.T., the, ex- uh, the extraterrestrial, screened in June of 1982 by Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg tells this story on the internet it was on my website for a number of years and then Steven Spielberg confirmed it that at the end of ET the extraterrestrial Reagan stood up in front of about 40 people and I on the in the article I have all those people named uh you know people on the supreme court two astronauts a bunch of high ranking people former CIA directors and stuff like that and he says uh Uh, thank you, Stephen, for bringing the movie. We enjoyed it. And there's a number of people in this room know that everything on that screen is absolutely true. So there you have basically a president standing up and confirming the fact that this is all for real. And, uh, the story didn't go anywhere. All these people heard this, uh, him state this, and it just went down into rumor, and I got a hold of the rumor, and then Steven Spielberg was asked about it and finally confirmed the story was true, and still the media didn't pick up on it. So that's that one. And maybe I can maybe tell you a quick story because it ties into Tesla. Because you are doing your Tesla thing, this has to do with Eisenhower. I'm doing a review now, and Eisenhower is sort of the contactee president. You had Reagan, who was a contactee. But there's a whole pile of stories about Eisenhower having met with aliens. He's the only president that has all these stories about him. And there's a new one that's just broken, and the guy's name is Gordon Duff. And I can't get into the whole story. You probably get him on your show. He'll tell you the whole thing. He is the chairman of the board of what's called Veterans Today. It's a, a website. It seems to be a big operation. He has a bunch of high-ranking people, intelligence people. He claims this is where the black ops people hang out. And he's got a lot of various people telling him stories. And in, a, in the last week or two, he's been doing a bunch of interviews about an M 12 document he saw in 1977 and about uh, a possible operation with the U.S. and the Chinese to try to fight off aliens off in the Pacific off of San Francisco. So these are the two stories that he started, but he talks about Tesla technology that has been developed by the U.S. military. The story that he sort of added to what interests me is the Eisenhower one, where he says in 1970, he saw this in 1982, He was on a reading group, and he saw this document, 11 pages, an MJ-12-type document, which talked about a deal that Eisenhower made in 1953 with a bunch of bad-type aliens where they could take, not abduct, but take 230,000 people a year. And so he's added this one. So that's 1953. And Eisenhower, there's also the story of 1954 with Edwards Air Force Base meeting aliens. There's a story... at. Haldeman Air Force Base, 1955, where he meets with the aliens. There's a story, uh, 1957, where the aliens are actually brought into the White House. Uh, There's 1952, where he's on the USS Roosevelt, where there's a UFO encounter, and uh, we find out later that they have nuclear weapons on the ship. So here's Eisenhower, where he has maybe four or five contacts directly with aliens, and every other president, there's really none. Reagan has one. There's one with Kennedy, and that's basically it. So you have Eisenhower with all these contacts, which seems to indicate there may be some truth to these stories, that there was some sort of interaction between Eisenhower and visiting groups of aliens who wanted us to stop nuclear technology or make deals or whatever. I'm still working on that, but it's kind of an interesting thing. If you get this Gordon, he's actually a very interesting-sounding guy uh, who has a lot of claims of high-ranking contacts, and who's now telling these stories about Tesla technology, and he goes into some details about what the Americans have actually developed. I'd heard
0: about the alleged meeting between Eisenhower and the aliens at Edwards Air Force Base in 54. I had no idea there were five or six such incidents. Uh, Victor, over to you.
1: Yeah, what I'd like to explore just for a second, Grant, if you could... Today I was attempting to locate some information from the uh, Archdiocese of uh, Los Angeles regarding Cardinal McIntyre, Francis McIntyre, and his association with the President. And my understanding is that all the archives are are being uh, sort of shut down as far as the Archdiocese is concerned. They just won't release anything to researchers. Would the Eisenhower Archive be able to be probed or requested to release any of the documents they may have in terms of correspondence that the President might have had with McIntyre in order to get him to come to the Air Force Base that time to accompany him?
2: I spent a week at the Eisenhower Library going through the whole story, and I'm not sure whether I looked up that, but that's very easy. If you just contact the Eisenhower Library, and it's called an alpha, alpha search. Like those four people that were supposedly with Eisenhower, you can just do an alpha search for each one. I so want all the uh... correspondence phone calls and meetings between the president and whatever person and they'll do what's called an alpha search very fast and they'll get back to you with whatever correspondence there was i went through all the material like the thank you letters like this the story about the dentist Mm -hmm. tracking you know the dentist and whether there was a thank you and there was no thank you to the dentist and stuff and i spent a lot of time tracking and there is no doubt in fifty four absolutely no doubt whatsoever that the president disappeared because the press picked up on it, and there was one news reporter from New York who was actually about to go on the wire with the story that the president had died of a heart attack, and the press secretary had to come back from a barbecue on the other side of Palm Springs and calm the media down. We don't know how they figured it out, but they actually had to calm the media down and say the president's okay, nothing's happened, and then he appears the next morning at church, and the media just sort of gives up and forgets about it. But that one for sure. Some of the other stories... Are kind of goofy and they have some problems with it. It's just kind of weird that you have so many stories about contacts with the one president and no other president. You figure people are making up stories. They should make them up about all the presidents. They don't. It's just Eisenhower.
0: Now, we should point out that the you mentioned the dentist in a thank you note. That was sort of, I guess, the cover story that the reason for Eisenhower's sudden disappearance was he had to be rushed for a dental emergency.
2: Yeah, he broke a crown eating uh, fried chicken at supper time, So they had to take him to the dentist and bill moore actually interviewed the dentist's wife years later bill Moore was a researcher in the 80s actually interviewed the the dentist's wife and she said as far as she's concerned it didn't happen if her husband had worked on the president's tooth she would have known about it and uh she had never heard anything about that so as the story sort of fell apart this this cover story as to uh why he disappeared then there was the other cover story about he appears at church the next morning and his secretary had had talked about that. She said that Eisenhower was actually a Jehovah Witness who had changed over to Protestant after he was elected, but he hated church. He hated to go to church, and his main secretary was with him the whole time. In an oral interview, it said, you know, I don't know how him and uh, and Billy Graham ever got together, got along together. And so here, him the next morning, he appears at church, all smiling and happy, whatever, but He was a guy who didn't like church and uh, had been gone since uh, I think it was about 10 o'clock at night when this sort of emergency took place where the the press secretary had to come run back and and calm the press down.
0: How long was this disappearance?
2: We know at 10 o'clock that the press knew something was wrong. and It was kind of weird because he was in a compound. I don't know how they would know. He was supposed to be with some guy playing bridge with a family in a compound, so they didn't have any direct access to him. And for some reason they knew he was gone. The one in 55 at Holloman, he disappears for three days, and they claim he's got a cold. But the problem with these records back in those days was, it's not like today. If you see a presidential record today, every single minute, he moves here, he's going there, he picks up the phone, every, every minute. There, you have whole gaps where the president is on holidays. They just have holidays, holidays, holidays for three or four days. They really don't record the events of the president like they do today, so... You never know, but the the 55, he was gone for three days, according to the evidence. This one, it was only uh, maybe 12 hours, something like that. But then, of course, he was was at Palm Springs, and Edwards is only about uh, 90 miles away, so it's not going to take him long to get there. We just got about a minute,
0: but you alluded to uh, Jack Kennedy and UFOs. What's the story
2: there? I don't think he really had as much interest. He actually said, if you go to his website, to the presidential website, you'll actually hear an audio clip where he says, I'm not interested in space. I just want to beat the Russians to the moon. He, he couldn't have cared less about space. Robert Kennedy, his brother, was very interested. Kennedy didn't even serve an entire administration. I don't believe he was assassinated because of UFOs. He had lots of enemies. He, lots of people wanted to get rid of him. I don't think there was any connection there. The key for the Kennedy administration is... A guy by name of Arthur Lundahl, who is the guy who briefed the President on flying saucers, he's the key guy to watch, but it's kind of a long story. He's one of the top CIA guys that ever existed, fascinated with UFOs, ran the National Photographic Interpretation Center, where they analyzed all the U-2, all the SR-71. He did all the, the photographic analysis for the Robertson panel. Uh, he was a photographic expert, and he was the UFO guy that was sort of advising the President. Grant,
0: every time you come on, you're full value. You just drop some amazing information bombs, and uh, you are a, uh, a national treasure. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. Grant Cameron, presidentialufo.com. Uh, Victor Vigiani, hey, thanks for riding shotgun with me tonight back in my Toronto studio. Good night now. All right, back next week freddy silva egyptians in the art of raising the dead you'll want to be around for that one in the meantime don't be afraid there's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known what you hear in the dark speak in the light what i say in a whisper proclaim from the housetops
1: move over aphrodite i'm coming home good night